This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts from around the world with all the latest business and market news. And this morning, let's speak to Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Well, it's certainly a big day ahead in Washington. Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. Thousands of troops forming a ring of steel around the attendees, and it's set to be unlike any other inauguration we've ever had. The question is, I suppose, Craig, can the president, the new president, bring a divided country together? And this first 100 days that everybody's talking about, he's set to inject trillions into the economy. And of course, he's got to fight COVID-19 as well. It's not the easiest of tasks for a new president, is it? No, he's got a massive task on his hands, and it, well, it's, I think it's going to be a real test of his uh, presidency. Really, is is uniting um, people in Congress around his ideas of what this economy needs in order to recover, and you can see from his plans that that includes a lot of spending. And we know there's obviously, in particular, in the Senate, been staunch opposition to massive stimulus programs. And they have the slimmest of majorities. So it's going to take um, his best negotiating skills and that of his team. He's he's surrounded himself uh, with people along the same wavelength. We heard from Janet Yellen yesterday, very much in tune with what Biden was saying. This idea that, that you can't effectively go too big at this point. It's so important that you get this stage of the recovery right in order to turbocharge the rest of recovery, but also undo some of the damage from the last 12 months, which is the inequality side. Obviously, inequality is something we've discussed for years, but no matter where you look, everyone seems to be in agreement that this has... This has increased the inequality divide, um, the hard, the hardest hit being those least able to take it. So the administration has a massive task on it on its hand. Firstly, uniting Congress around how they believe that this needs to be dealt with and then fixing the problems, not just getting unemployment down, but also closing that inequality gap. Yeah, and you mentioned Janet Yellen. She's been picked by Joe Biden to run the U.S. Treasury. She says America needs to, quote unquote, act big to revive its flagging economy. And she's certainly for this major stimulus uh, package. And in those remarks that she made, that led to an early rise in share prices on Wall Street yesterday. So they obviously liked her comments. Yeah, it did seem to have an impact. I mean, these were leaked comments. So we've known about them for a day or two. And There was nothing surprising in there, and she very much stuck to the script uh, throughout the testimony itself. We've got to remember, she is not new to this. She may be the new incoming Treasury Secretary, but before this, she was Fed Chair. She is used to a grilling uh, from Congress. Uh, But she very much stuck to the script and to everything that had been leaked. Uh, So there was no major surprises there, but very much giving her backing this, this idea that the more the better at this point. This is not the time to be scrimping. This is not the time to be trying to cut corners. Borrowing costs are so low now. It's it's effectively free money, especially when you account for inflation. Borrowing costs are that low at this point. This is not the time to be trying to cut corners. This is the time to be able to try and repair the economy for a more sustained, uh, longer economic recovery. And they are scary numbers that we are talking about. But I mean, the last 12 months has been extremely scary uh, and it's been a lot harder for for many many people uh, than it has been necessarily for others so uh, she very much stuck to the script very much on the same page as joe biden but 
as I said earlier, they have a big task on their hands uniting uh, lawmakers in Congress around a stimulus package as large as 1.9 trillion. You wonder how much compromise is going to be necessary to get this over the line, even with that slimmest of majorities in Congress. Not everyone is going to share the same ideals um, to, to, to the same extent as Joe Biden and Janet Yellen. You talk about uniting, but uh, that's not really one thing that the outgoing president has been doing over the last four years, to be perfectly honest. I wanted to ask you, it is his last day, his last few hours uh, before he has to leave the White House. What is the Trump legacy from an economic point of view? Despite the toxicity of his term in office, he did do some good. Certainly pre-COVID, the economy was going great guns. Yeah, we have to remember that back at the end of 2019, which feels like a very long time ago now, um, we were talking about his re-election chances as being so strong, it was almost a foregone conclusion. The economy was roaring, unemployment was at multi-decade lows. Uh, the economy was firing on all cylinders to every extent, and the 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 only kind of the the only downside really was the was his constant um his constant intent on creating friction with allies um the eu for example um but also the trade war with china uh, uh and the trade frictions that were caused as a result of that that was the biggest criticisms criticisms he typically got from the economic front um obviously he's, he's a highly controversial figure a highly divisive figure uh, at times and almost it's hard when you're th- when you when we look back at the Trump um, the Trump regime when we look back at the at Trump's four years in office, the economy should be one of the things that we focus on because while it lo- it's in the state that it is now, this isn't a reflection of what came before. This is a fl- reflection of what every country around the world is going through. But you can't tr- think of Trump's four years in office without thinking of everything else first. And uh, and the, unfortunately, the last 12 months hasn't really helped matters, and, and, and especially the events of the last two months. Um, so from an economic standpoint, uh, I think there was a, a lot in the US where the numbers were looking very good, um, but you, it, it, you can't, it's very difficult to think of Trump just in terms of the economy. There are some quite bullish market analysts out there, Craig. Are you one of them? Certainly uh, economists and analysts have revised their growth expectations for the USA, predicting a reflation of the economy this year and possibly more booming returns for risk assets. As far as the market is concerned this year, they're well supported. They're supported by the fact that central banks are very much leaving the taps on at full pelt. So there's there's an enormous amount of monetary support in in the system right now. Governments are keeping the taps on as well, at least through the through the end of these kind of furlough periods. But when we're looking at the US now, 1.9 trillion in stimulus, potentially more to come on top of that as well. Investing in green technology, investing um, in infrastructure, it seems like it, it does feel like many countries around the world have the same idea, which is we need to grow our way out of this. Uh, crisis, which is very different mentality from the last one. So, from a <clears throat> monetary and a fiscal side, these, mar- these markets are well uh, are well supported. I think there's, I think from an aggregate level as well, we're in a good position to see uh, a strong economic recovery later this year. I think I've always been on the more kind of slightly pessimistic side for the first quarter of the year. I did while while we didn't see obviously new strains appearing, which has clearly exacerbated the COVID issue. I did think that the what our 
the, the in the run up to Christmas and Christmas itself and into the new year, I did think that that would all come at a cost, and uh, and I think it would have anyway. But obviously, that's been highly exacerbated now, and it looks as though we're, we're probably going to see severe restrictions for at least the next couple of months while the vaccine rollout happens. But the important thing is the vaccine rollout is happening. So the second quarter of the year should look far better than the first quarter, and the second half of the year should look far far better than the first half of the year. And I'm still in the more optimistic end as far as that is concerned. Uh, and and then it will just be about where the rotations start to happen. We're still going to see support for many of the names which have done well throughout the pandemic because I just I think there is going to be a slightly permanent edge uh, to some of the changes in behaviours. But I do think there is going to be a lot more interest in those companies that have had a terrible, terrible twelve months. Um, I, I, it seems that whoever you talk to, um, as long as they're able, and as long as they're able. Uh, people are desperate to go on holiday again. So you think of travel and tourism uh, companies and you think that all being well with the vaccine rollout, then this could be a a very strong summer for them. Obviously, there's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes in there because if there's one thing we've learned about COVID is that it throws up a curveball every time you start to feel like you know what's going on. Uh, But I I do feel like we are going to continue to see that rotation back into the the kind of those companies and those sectors that have been very hard hit. I think hospitality may have a slightly harder time of it because I do think it's going to be the one of the last ones to be allowed to reopen properly. Uh, but I think, b- broadly speaking, um, I, I do I do think the second half of the year is going to be strong. I think the second quarter of the year is going to be um, the start of the start of the rebound. I just think this first quarter could be challenging and that may potentially pose a slight challenge for risk appetite. Well, one company that's done particularly well over the last year or so is Netflix and they've just reported some results. Yeah, I mean, we're right at the start of earnings season. We've heard from a bunch of banks, and they're all kind of saying the same thing. Trading revenues, incredible. Uh, investment banking, incredible. It was a really good year on both of those, um, from both of those perspectives. Market volatility, um, very high, reining in um, some of the loan provisions, loan loss provisions that were set aside last year. So the, the numbers look quite good, very much in line. So we're not seeing massive um, moves to the upside in terms of their share prices, but then you look at something like Netflix. We also know it's had a fantastic year, but they gave us some really promising information yesterday. Uh, yesterday, and their pre-market shares are up about 13 percent at the last time of checking. The, I mean, this is a company which is um, which has seen its growth fueled by debt, and I think the most important thing that it that it um, that it that it said was that it uh, that it expects to stop uh, borrowing in order to finance, and is actually considering. Um, uh, buying back shares. I mean, this is this is music to the ears of investors. This is something that's always guaranteed to uh, to give the share price a bump. But also at a time when they've they've raised their prices and and and, and that's led to much higher revenues. We've seen um, an, a huge surge in subscribers up um, up more than thirty percent from twenty nineteen. These are all extremely positive numbers. Obviously, again, when people are allowed out their houses, then you may see this paired back slightly, but there's always going to be a sticky aspect to it. And I think, uh, and I think a company like Netflix was extremely well positioned uh, to, uh, to 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 do well uh, in a in, in an otherwise terrible situation. And we're seeing the the, the proof in the pudding um, yesterday. Talking of stimulus packages, uh, Craig, what about the UK? The CBI has just called for more help for struggling firms ahead of the budget in March. And they've asked for the furlough scheme and business rates relief to be extended. Do you think Mr Sunak is going to do that? It very much depends on the situation. We've seen over the course of the last year that the government has acted when needed, but they've never 
really overcommitted. I think this the first time they've really overcommitted was when they extended the furlough scheme back in was it December uh, through till April, I think it is, and. And that's the first time they've really committed longer term. And that was more of an acknowledgement of how bad the situation was going to get. I don't think they're want to go, going to want to continue a scheme like that beyond when it's absolutely necessary, as we saw back in the summer. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have ideas on how they want to stimulate the economy. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to come from um, an extension of things like the furlough scheme, for example. I think they may be looking at other the other ideas. Things like business rates would obviously be an interesting one to give businesses an opportunity to get back on their feet. They have had subsidies and things like that, but that, that doesn't mean that this this last 12 months hasn't come at a great cost to them. So things like that could be an interesting way of doing so as well. And I think they're also going to be looking at ways to try and recoup some of the losses from the Treasury um, and things like capital gains is one area where we've seen uh, that we've seen looked at as well. I do think economies around the world are going to have to find some more uh, some more ways to invest in, in this economic recovery, though, because the last 12 months has been an incredible setback. And uh, and I, as I've said earlier, this is this recovery is going to be very unlike the last one. I do think there is pent up aggregate demand, and they want to fuel it, they want to stimulate it, they want to turbocharge it. Taking the foot off the gas at a time when borrowing costs are so incredibly low uh, is something they may come to regret. And uh, breaking news this morning: the latest inflation rates and the consumer prices index rising to 0.6 percent from 0.3% in November, mainly due to clothing prices, apparently. It's kind of difficult to pay too much attention to these inflation numbers at this moment in time, just because they are so low, because they are going to be uh, prone to fluctuations, and because ultimately we're not going to see any kind of rate increases from the central banks anytime soon. It's not going to have a major influence um, on on. on the outlook of these central banks. Obviously, if we start to head into deflation territory, then that's a different matter altogether, and that's something that the central banks will be want to want to be very, um, very on top of. But we're not really seeing uh, enormous amounts. Like, yes, the CPI is only 0.6%, but core CPI is 1.4% on an annualised basis, and they'll be paying more attention to that kind of number uh, than they are going to be. Uh, but then I think they're also going to they're also going to allow central banks for. Um, these kind of temporary periods of uh, of um, of big changes in the inflation numbers as well. So maybe something to keep an eye on, but I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be dramatically impacting the markets at this point or the outlook for central banks. Okay, Craig Erdem, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thank you.